a clank of steel on stone as the knight dismounted. His proud face was flushed, his hair in disarray. The woman in homespun gripped the courser's reins for dear life. The keepers parted, and the knights stalked into their circle. He didn't reach for the sword on his belt. All it would take was a nod. His white teeth were bared in a snarl. You're looking for me? He looked from one of them to the other. His armored hands turned outward in dangerous invitation. Here I am. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode. If you're not caught up yet, I will leave a link to the full playlist down in the episode description, so make sure to check that out. If you're not subscribed, make sure to do that and hit the notification bell and let me know what you think of the episode down in the comments. All right, on to the good stuff. I'm Josh Call, and this is Last Coliseum. It was with a belly full of nerves and little else that Lee took up his post in the alley opposite the Eidolon. They'd had contact now, the rogue and the reaper. If the brawler got a good look at him, there'd be questions. Ones Lee didn't have answers for, at least answers that wouldn't put him at the business end of the brawler's fists. He should never have approached him at the dram house. It made a mess of things. But then, if the cutthroats had torn him to pieces and made off with Killam's bounty, it just meant a different foe setting his sights on the thief for blood. At least the Reaper didn't know where Paul lived. He'd honestly been relieved when he'd clambered out onto the roof of the dram house, the outlaw on the stairs pounding at the upstairs door behind him, and found that the brawler had already fled. It spared him all those unavoidable questions for which there were no answers. And something else. That red strand of unease around his throat had tightened to a noose in the long days since. If his sleep hadn't been restless and fevered before, haunted by the grim specter of the jackdaw and his ravenous brutes, it was now. Only now, in his dreams, he stood alongside Killam, watching Krask pin the brawler down while Rooster laid into him with a cat of nine. He knew what he had to do, for Sim, for Paul, for his own sorry neck but knowing it didn't make the thing easier. It was late morning when the brawler emerged from the tap room, his head bowed, his hood drawn. He kept to the edge of the street, skirting along the shop fronts, away from the current of bodies and carriages rattling on from cliffside to the stone bridge. On the other side of the street, well insulated from the brawler's gaze, except for when he occasionally craned his neck to make sure he hadn't lost him, the thief followed. He told himself he was there to make sure the Reaper didn't get into any more trouble, the six cutthroats out for blood lose the bounty kind of trouble. But if the brawler did end up on the wrong side of a half dozen bandits, it was any man's guess how Lee would keep him whole without giving himself away. Suppose he could have been done with all of this already. All he had to do was go back to the milk den, take a pen and a scrap of parchment and jot down the name of the Eidolon. Extra points if he could tell the jackdaw which room. Killam might have even thrown him a few crowns for the quick turnaround. Twice he'd almost done it. The first time before he'd approached the brawler at the dram house, and again last night after an especially strong nightcap. He knew full well that the longer he waited, the greater the chance that the brawler might disappear again, or get himself knocked off by outlaws or picked up by greycloaks. The whole bleeding city was itching to sink their claws into the Reaper. Why was Lee the only bloody one who was all tied up in knots over the damned thing? The brawler ducked under the multi-layered canvas awnings of a street market, and Lee was forced to wriggle through the crowd to keep from losing him. He swiped a thin cotton scarf of the sort that was worn by farmers and caravaneers down on the hardpan, and wrapped it around his face in the way he'd seen them do. 
It was only then that he allowed himself to slip through the crowd and fall in alongside his quarry. In one hand, the brawler was holding a folded packet of pistachios. He crunched the nuts between his teeth and flicked the shells in his wake. He wandered from one stall to the next, each one piled high with merchandise and practically spilling over onto its neighbors. He waved off the overtures of the hard-nosed merchants who eyed him hawkishly as his gaze trailed across their wares. How much for this? He paused at a silversmith, nestled between an armorer and a glassblower. Her table glittered with rings and bracelets in neat rows under the glass. The brawler pressed a finger against the pane. Lee was standing at the armorer's stall, mindlessly staring at a row of knives of varying sizes. The armorer left him alone. He was haggling furiously in the old tongue of the north with a man whose braided black beard cascaded down his chest. Lee watched the brawler out of the corner of his eye, fighting to hear him over the din of the market. The silversmith flashed him a toothy smile and tucked her blonde hair behind her ear. For you, five crowns. The brawler grunted and started to move on. Three crowns, the smith called after him. Two crowns, four. That made him pause. Two crowns flat. The smith bit her lip. She clacked her painted nails against the glass pane. Two crowns, four, she countered, then leaned over and tapped twice on the glass near the edge of the table. And I'll throw in the earrings. The brawler hesitated. Lee saw his pursed lips reflected in the glass. He nodded and reached for his purse. The silversmith grinned, a real grin now, the kind that touched the eyes, and raised the glass on its hinge to bag the baubles. A blast of fanfare cleaved through the market din. For a moment their chatter lulled as every neck craned to see the source of the noise. Even the Northman momentarily broke off his bickering with the armorer, the dark walls of his face tattoos stark against his flushed cheeks as he swept his gaze past Lee. The thief stood up on his tiptoes and peered out over the bobbing heads of the crowd, the brawler briefly forgotten. He saw the pennant first, snapping crisply in the noonday breeze, a head on a spike, slack-jawed and tongue-lolling, stitched in gold on a field of storm clouds. The pole it hung from seemed to sprout from the heads of the low folk, lengthening by the second. He knew the severed head sigil well. Everyone did. The governor's crest was emblazoned on massive banners draping from the ramparts of the Grey Keep below their gruesome carrion counterparts. It was incised on the breastplates of his personal guard and stamped on any official proclamation that he saw nailed to the notice boards in the coppers. Femerial's crest and the clatter of iron-shod hooves could mean only one thing the High Lords of the Grey Keep. His back ached from riding, and he had saddle sores. He'd stolen an hour of sleep while they'd lain in wait for the brigands. Before that, it had been a full day since he'd slept, and the quality of sleep he got out on the hinter with a stone for a pillow was middling at best. But he'd promised himself, promised the lads, that the next time they slept, it'd be in their own beds with their own wives to warm them. And come mid-morning, when the dark smudge on the horizon started to take shape, the sight of those faraway cliffs had lent wings to their flight. That, and a few grains of spice to keep his hand steady on the reins. He'd sent one of the lads galloping ahead to clear the ramps in advance of their coming. He never rode wearing his helm, but if he had, he'd have stripped it off as they strutted past the grime-streak lowlanders huddled at the base of the cliffs to make their way up the switchbacks. Something that was not far from worship shone plain on their faces when they looked at him. The girl he'd freed, Rowan, had hardly spoken since he'd picked her up, save for a murmured thank you when he'd requisitioned her address from the first village they passed through. It was a simple homespun, but he'd promised her better once they reached the city. 
He felt her weight shift behind him as she leaned forward and murmured, They love you. Elias's gaze trailed across their faces before the switchback carried him up and out of sight. They did, didn't they? His lips hardly moved as he cocked his head a little to one side and murmured back, They love the horses. He'd wanted this for years, ever since he was a boy. In those days, he'd steal onto a rooftop with the spyglass he'd spent half a year begging his mum for, and watch the mighty men of Cliffside on their handsome cloaks and doublets scurry back and forth. It was only later that he'd learned that those mighty men he washed were the servants of the Cliffside lords, but even so, it had lit a fire in Elias's belly that had never guttered out. Suppose that was what had drawn him to Haytham in the first place. The brawler had been a street boy edging toward manhood when Elias found him. But after the fame came, there was something thrilling about simply being near to greatness, basking in its glow like a stone warmed by the sun. But being the sun was better. The crowds had gathered on the stone bridge into either side of the wide boulevard as the ten of them clopped past. At the van, the governor's crest writhed in the breeze as though with some vestigial life. He'd seen a handful of beheadings. There was an especially bloody string of days after the gov's wife's crown went missing. The best and worst part was always the way the unlimbered head went on twitching for a tortured few moments after the headsman's grisly work was done. One might have thought that his sensitivity to such things would have been deadened after a half-dozen campaigns through the hinterlands, butchering free nation raiders like a fox hunting rabbits. But the truth was, it made his blood hot every time, holding the very power of life and death at the end of four feet of forged steel. He'd have to pay a visit soon to Amatha, he reflected as he returned the salutes of one of the gray cloaks keeping the crowd off the street. She'd visited him nightly out on the hinter while he slept. He'd taken it as a sign that her heart toward him had softened while he was off risking his own life to keep the city safe. Elias had wanted the fiddler ever since he knew her. And for a time that burning had been tempered by hate. Hate for the both of them. After his brother all but stole her out from under him. Even after he and Haytham had reconciled, there'd remained a dull resentment like an ulcer in his gut that stung every time he saw them together. Five years of slow poison forced down his gullet, drip by awful drip. In those rare moments when he dared think about it, he supposed that it was that slow poison which had made things easier after the brethren made him their grim proposition. And now... A seven-year-on, and the Reaper was little more than a bygone memory. Elias Whiterose had risen higher than either of them could ever have dreamed. He had twice the money and tenfold the power that Haytham ever had. All it took was the right word in Dolphus's ear, and the whole bloody city bent to his will. And fame? Fame was a thing for brawlers and bards, a poor consolation not worth the breath it took to speak your own name. And he had more than enough of that as well. Really, the only thing left was the girl. After that, everything that Haytham had been would be subsumed into Elias like a dragon from a fairy story. These were the thoughts of Elias White Rose as he led his men up toward the keep. There were perhaps ten of them. It was hard to be sure, given Lee's poor vantage behind the crowd, their suits flashing in the sunlight as their coursers clopped along the cobbles. Every one of them bore the love marks of battle. He could see dints and scratches marring the shiny plates, and more than one had his arm in a sling or a bandage round his leg. 
They mostly rode alone, their faces inscrutable behind lowered visors. One of them was on foot, leading his horse along by the reins. A body wrapped in canvas was slung across the saddle, the fallen man's armor strapped piecemeal to the sides. The excited rumble of the crowd lulled only slightly as that one clopped past. The knight who commanded them wore no helmet. He wasn't riding at the van, but Lee could tell just by looking that that was what he was. His hair cascaded in dark ringlets down to his shoulders. His temples were streaked with silver. Beneath the heavy shelf of his brow, his face was cool and proud and dusted with three days of stubble. A handsome face. A lord's face. The sort that smirked down his slightly crooked aquiline nose at you. There was a woman riding behind him. Her head turned away from Lee so he couldn't see her eyes. Her dress was homespun, and her thin arms were curled tight around Lord Handsome's chest. Her pink fingers clutched tight at the thorny rose that was graven on his breastplate. A shout of alarm from the armorer behind the counter brought Lee back to his senses. He started to turn and was nearly bowled over as someone brushed roughly past him. His scarf fell open, and he very nearly knocked over an armored mannequin at the corner of the stall. He caught himself and glared at his assailant, several choice oaths at once trying to muscle past his tongue. The words died in his throat. The brawler was already five steps ahead of him, cries of anger and surprise rippling in his wake as he plowed through the throng. The reaper was past hearing. Lee couldn't see his face, but he saw the tension in his cloaked shoulders as he stiff-armed a broad-shouldered prentice who tried to bar his way. The lad went down, and Lee lost sight of him. Then it was only the gray cloaks left in front of him. They hadn't even noticed the commotion. They were all standing stupid, grinning and waving at the knights like everyone else. He shouldered past one of them and knocked him flat. And suddenly those angry shouts rang out everywhere. Lee darted forward in the brawler's wake as the crowd closed in. Swords rasped from their sheaths, cloaks pressed in around him. They screeched for the brawler to halt, to get on his knees in the name of the keep. If the brawler heard them, he didn't show it. He made a straight line for the knight and the girl like a bolt from a crossbow. The courser wickered and shied away from him. Lord Handsome tugged hard on the reins, fighting to keep control over the powerful beast. But the horse could smell death on him, in him. When the woman turned so Lee could see her face, terror shone plain there. The thief's heart raced. The brawler flexed those oak-hard fists. Something silver flashed in his hand. And then he was flying. Every eye was on the knight and the horse and the girl and the brawler. The keepers didn't even try to stop him as Lee broke through their ranks and rammed his shoulder into the backs of the reaper's knees. His head swung past an inch from a gray cloak's sword point, and he and the brawler both went sprawling. His skull cracked against the cobbles, and his vision flickered. He tasted blood. The courser gave a terrified whinny and reared up on his hind legs. The woman screamed and almost fell off the back of the horse, her own cry mingling with the courser's. Lee rolled. The iron-shod hooves smashed down where his head had been not half an instant before. He came up onto his knees. He found himself staring into the faces, and blades, of a dozen glowering greycloaks. Beyond them, he saw that Lord Handsome had caught the girl by the wrist and barely managed to keep her in the saddle. The soldiers made a tight circle around the pair, their long swords leveled at the kneeling rogue and the sprawled brawler. Lee's face was ashen. He heard shouting, the gray cloaks, the crowd, the men on horseback, but the throb in his temples drowned out most everything else. The brawler came up into a crouch. Now Lee saw his face. It was the same look he'd seen as the reaper pounded the bear into mincemeat, 
only this time not half concealed behind a mask of blood. Black, mindless violence. Lee bit his lip and silently willed Red Ugly not to spring on one of them and rip his throat out and get the both of them stabbed for the trouble. Staring down at the business end of Keeper Steel, Lee wondered what the jackdaw would do after he heard that his bounty was gone and the thief was in pieces. A clank of steel on stone as the knight dismounted. His proud face was flushed, his hair in disarray. The woman in homespun gripped the courser's reins for dear life. The keepers parted, and the knights stalked into their circle. The crowd fell deathly quiet. He didn't reach for the sword on his belt. He didn't have to. All it would take was a nod. His white teeth were bared in a snarl. You're looking for me? His voice was scarcely above a whisper. He looked from one of them to the other. His armored hands turned outward in dangerous invitation. Here I am. One hovered close to the hand and a halfer on his belt. Lee forced a stupid grin across his cheeks like spreading cold butter on a barley cake. The lie sprang full-grown from his lips like a gift from heaven. Terribly sorry, my lord. He stepped in front of the brawler, slipping easily into the gruff, marble-mouthed accent of the lowlands. His knees shook. He swayed on his feet as if he was neck-deep in his cups. Me brother and I heard that yous was coming home. Figured it was in order to toast to your safe return with a cuppa. His grin turned rueful. Course, a cuppa's never just one cuppa, is it? So I goes off to fetch the next round, and meanwhiles, he jabbed a thumb over his shoulder at the brawler. This thing goes wandering off to get a better look at your horses. He loves horses. He covered his mouth with the back of his hand and said in a mummer's whisper, He's a mite soft in the head. His heart skipped a beat. He fought hard to hold on to that cheery drunkard's expression, glittering not three feet from the knight's armored foot. The brawler's dagger was nestled in a crack between the cobbles. No one had seen it. Yet. All through his silly speech, the knight had been looking past him at the brawler, the air around him still bristling with keeper's steel. At length, the lord tore his gaze away and fixed it on the thief. He frowned. What's your name? My name? Lee slapped his chest. I'm called Hugo, son of Beck. He swept his arm broadly toward the reaper. That's me brother, um, Sim. He gave an elaborate, courtly bow, his head tipped so low that he lost his balance and toppled over. A nervous titter ran through the crowd. Still on his back, Lee thrust a hand up at the night. Pleasure to meet your Quincy, sir. More laughter. The lordling stared down at the proffered hand. He didn't take it. That was fine. It was Lee's other hand, which was disappearing the dagger up his sleeve. He took a step toward the fighter. The gray cloaks pressed in all around him, their sword points bare inches from the brawler's back. What happened to your face? The noble whispered. There was a queer look in his eye, like he'd just heard something he remembered dimly from a dream. The reaper didn't say anything, only stared darkly back at him with those solid gray eyes. Kicked in the head! Offered Lee as he found his feet. His scarf lay in a disheveled heap on the cobbles. By a ho- I asked him. The knight growled. His eyes hadn't left the brawlers. He took another step toward the fighter. Elias, warned the woman on his courser. Lord White Rose, cautioned someone else. White Rose didn't hear them. Well, Lee could see what was coming. Watched the reaper sink into his ready stance, poised to spring. Hands balled into fists, death thrumming in his fingertips. So he did the only thing he could do, opened his gob and let fly. He don't talk much anymore, he was almost shouting. 
He clapped a hand on the knight's armored shoulder. He's been a bit scrambled ever since the horse got him. The gauntlet thundered into him like the hammer of God. The crowd gasped. Stars exploded in his vision, and for a brief moment the thief took flight. And then the world punched him. The cobbled street reared up and cracked its stony fist against his brow. Darkness surged across his soul, sudden and opaque. He was out before he knew he'd been hit. They were staring at him. Everyone. The worship he'd felt pouring off of them ever since they came in through the gate. Before that, even, they'd ridden through the little hamlets and villages out west like conquering heroes was gone. The way their eyes had felt on him, awe and lust and envy and fear, it was like sex and spice and a good roaring drunk all rolled into one. And now, nothing. Nothing but the fear. They recoiled as his gaze passed over them. Even the keepers flinched under Lord White Rose's imperious eye. Something had cracked. A fissure snaked across the fine marble statue of the proud, handsome, noble knight. For an ugly moment, they saw him. He looked down at the other man. He hadn't moved. He still glared at the nobleman from the bruised depths of those sunken pits. His gaze burned with an intensity that raked along the soft underbelly of the Lord's memory. He was afraid. Elias. Rowan. He glanced up. A strange look had come over her. He saw concern on her flushed face. For him. For the boy. For herself. For there was also the same thing he'd seen in the faces in the crowd. Fear. He wiped his lip. The gauntlet left a red smear on his chin. He didn't say a word to anyone. He jammed a foot in the courser's stirrup and pulled himself into the saddle. Then he dug his heel into the horse's flank and sped off toward the keep. He didn't look back. All the way to the keep, he didn't look back. But even once he was inside her high walls, even when he was back in his bedchamber with the door barred and the curtains drawn, he couldn't shake it. That feeling. Fear. Their fear and his. The way those solid gray eyes burned into him. Thank you guys so much for listening. It really does mean the world to be able to share this story with all of you. If you're listening on podcasts and you haven't left a review already, please do me a favor and leave a five-star review so that this story can reach more people. We've been sitting at like six reviews on Spotify for the last few weeks, but I think that we can hit 10 or even 20. That's it from me. I'll catch you guys next week.